worthy. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <clears throat> what you see on the screen is a, a one kilo bar of gold. And it was purchased by a staff member of a scrap dealer in the United Kingdom on March 25th, 2010. The bar appeared to have the correct dimensions by measurement, but it was two grams out of a thousand light. But it wouldn't have been noticed if they used an imprecise scale. The bar was checked by a handheld x-ray fluorescence technology, one of those I have in my closet, uh, a machine that showed it to be 99.98% gold. The bar came with its original certificate from the mint that made it, and when checked for magnetism, it was without any magnetism at all. It appeared to be absolutely pure gold. But those two grams, two grams, so they decided to cut it open and to look inside. And what they found was that it was full of tungsten. What's tungsten? Tungsten, you may not know, is the exact same density. It's almost exact. It's a little off of pure gold. And so that's why when you weigh it, it can appear to be the same weight as gold, but it's not exactly the same weight as gold. But on the outside, it looked like a pure bar of solid gold. It wasn't until they cut it open that they found out that it was a counterfeit. It was only partially gold on the outside. Today we're going to look at a passage where the writer James is going to be asking the same question. He's wanting to know the audience that he's speaking to, are they authentic? Are they the genuine article, the real McCoy? Are they truly believers or are they a counterfeit? See, this issue is a significant one. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave the warning that in the church there will be some that say that they're sheep. But what did Jesus say they would actually be? They would be wolves on the inside with sheep's clothing on the outside. They'd be false prophets. Also, Paul encouraged the Corinthian believers to examine their own hearts. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, test yourselves. And by the way, in James, when uh, he's talking about testing, uh, he's actually using a term that they would use for metal. How to determine it's pure. Test it. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? Jesus and Paul were concerned that there might be some who were in the church thinking they were the genuine article, but they were not. 
Today we're going to look at a passage in the book of James where that's exactly what James is asking. The, the book of James is made up of 13 tests that the audience, as they read his uh, letter, they could evaluate themselves. Am I, am I in Christ or am I on the outside? So if you would turn with me to James chapter 3, we'll look at one of the 13 tests that's in the book for a person to evaluate, to examine themselves, to test themselves, are they in the faith? James chapter 3, starting with verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. All the seed whose fruit and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is asking his audience a very ancient and spiritually important question. The typical Jew knew what James was asking. You and I may be not sure. Who is wise and understanding? Where did that phrase come from? What did that mean to the typical Jew? What was James asking them to evaluate and answer? And how would they answer that question? To understand where this concept of wisdom and understanding comes from, we have to actually start at the first known uh, letter of Scripture, the book of Job. It's probably written before uh, Moses, uh, the law of Moses, probably more around the time of Abraham. Uh, and God is answering Job in verse chapter 28 of Job, and Job has lots of questions as to why he's gone through the uh, travails that he has, and God is answering him, and this is what he says in Job chapter 28, starting in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? And then he goes on to describe that talk about gold and silver and that you have to go down into the depths of the earth to find it and it says wisdom is not found there understanding is not found there and he mentions all these places where is it where do you go to find wisdom and understanding and then God says in verse 23 God understands its way and he knows its place. See, man looks, doesn't know where to find it. Where do you go 
can't go down to the local grocery store, can't do a drive-thru uh, restaurant, where do you go? But God knows where wisdom and understanding is. And notice what he says in verse 28. And to man God said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So Job is recording what is recorded here in the story of Job, stated by God, he defines for us what wisdom is. It's to fear the Lord. He explains what understanding is. That's to know what evil is and the choice to avoid it. If you take the uh, Jewish principle of first things, the first time something is mentioned in the Bible is usually the best indicator of what it means. This is the first time wisdom and understanding is in the Scriptures. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Understanding is avoiding evil. He's asking, James is referring back to an ancient question and an answer that God gives when James is asking the Jews who are dispersed outside of Jerusalem, are you wise? Do you fear the Lord? Do you avoid evil? Moses elaborates on this theme. He's in his sermon in Deuteronomy, and they're just about the second generation to go into the promised land. And he's, he's challenging them on how are they going to live when they go into the promised land. And if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is what he has to say. Moses says, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you're entering to possess it. Here's the key, verse 6. So keep and do them. So keep and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding. In the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So Moses doesn't just mention that it's the fear of the Lord and it's avoiding evil. He's saying that if you keep the commandments of God that are given by God, when people see your lifestyle at a distance, the Gentile nations around Israel, they're going to go, wow, those people are wise and have understanding. Solomon, kind of a wise guy, he elaborates on this as well. If you turn over to Proverbs chapter 3, he talks about finding wisdom and the blessings when you find it. So he adds to what Job had to say and what Moses informed us. Proverbs chapter 3, starting with verse 13. It goes all the way to 26, but I'm going to stop short of that due to time. Verse 13. How blessed, how happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. 
for her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who hold her fast. And it goes on. What's Solomon saying? The wise and understanding man, the man who seeks wisdom and finds it, the man who understands is the man who's going to be blessed. And what kind of blessings He's going to have long life, riches, honor, peace, eternal life, happiness. It's more precious than an Xbox. That's in the Hebrew. Somewhere there it's prophetic. More important than that uh, turbocharged diesel truck. So based on the Old Testament, what Job had to say, Moses and Solomon, here's what wisdom and understanding means to the typical Jew. It's someone who's found wisdom, meaning they truly fear the Lord. They know that He's their Creator and He will be their judge. And they want to be right with Him. And that's why they fear Him. They have gained understanding. They truly know and they turn away from evil. A nice good Greek word we might use today is repent. Repent. Turn away from evil. They know and they keep the law of Christ so that those who are watching would judge them and their fellow believers as a wise and understanding people. So as James is writing these believers who are outside Jerusalem, they've been scattered, he's asking them, are people going to look at your life and be able to say, because they keep the law of Christ, those people are wise and they have understanding. Do they experience blessing because they're convinced that Jesus and His gospel is more profitable than gold? It's more precious than jewels. Nothing compares. It gives long life. Its ways are pleasant. It leads to peace. It's a tree of life to all those who embrace her. And those who keep wisdom will have discretion, discernment. And they will walk securely. Their foot will not stumble. And they will lie down without fear. And they're going to enjoy... For those my age, sweet sleep. And there's no CPAP in the parenthesis here. The second part of this uh, passage that I'll teach on in three weeks, we're going to look at those who are wise and understanding. But it's implied in this passage, there's a second question here. Who is it that's not wise? And who is it that does not have understanding? See, there's, there's two answers here that James gives. And today, that's what we're going to look at, is 
who are those that are in the church? See, he wrote this letter to Jewish believers who are in the church. So he's talking to two sets of people. And today, I want to be talking to those who are here. Praise the Lord. Glad you're here. But it's, he's talking today, and what I'm going to emphasize, those who are here who are pretending. Going through the motions, professing Christ, gold on the outside, but tungsten on the inside. That's who I want to talk to today. So let's reread James 3, starting with verse 13 again, with that mindset. Notice he's answering two questions here, even though he asked one. He answers in, for those in the positive and for those in the negative. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom, but... Ah, the but. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, notice he's going to talk about a different kind of wisdom. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. James makes it clear in this passage when he says, among you, that there are two types of people that are among you. And he addresses both. So the first point, if you're taking notes this morning, the first point is that pretenders deceive themselves and they deceive others that they're Christians. Pretenders deceive themselves and they deceive others that they are Christian. That's what James is talking about here. He's going to unpack it for us because the question you might have is, well, how do they do that? I'm glad you asked because James already answers it in this passage. It's a three-step process. And in fact, for believers, it's a three-step process. And for those who are in our small groups, it just fits the K, the F, the C, and the A. It's perfect. What do you know? How do you respond in faith? How does that impact your character? And then how does it impact your behavior and your actions? That's what we're going to see in this passage for both types of wisdom. So it starts with professing Faith in Christ. That's how it is. So it starts with... uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, How they go about their self-deception is, first of all, they place their hope in the wrong source of truth. You'll notice in verse 18 there, he talks about the seed whose fruit is righteousness. So the picture of what seed, what kernel of truth do you believe? There's two types of seed that are here in this passage. So it first starts with putting their hope in the wrong source of truth. They pick the wrong kernel of truth. And then what happens because of that, their heart becomes captured, 
captivated by those lies, those deceptions, and it begins to change who they are on the inside. So what's the wisdom? That's what they know. They put their faith in that. That's their hope. And then all of a sudden it begins to change their heart. And then out of their mouth, out of their behavior, out it comes. That's why we use the KFCA in our small groups. This is how it works. It's all throughout Scripture. This is the sequence by which we live. So let's look at step one, what James has to say about the first step on a process of how a pretender deceives himself and deceives others. The first step is bad seed. He swallows the bad seed. What do I mean by that? The pretender embraces earthly, fleshly, and demonic wisdom. He swallows the bad seed. He embraces, key word, he embraces earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom. That's where it starts. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. So James makes it very clear. This isn't coming from heaven. This is coming from here and from down here. Okay? He's trying to make that very, very clear. What does he mean when he says earthly, natural, and demonic? What does that mean? Let's unpack that. The first one is earthly. The word means to belong to the earth or rot in men upon the earth. Jesus used the same word in John chapter 3 when he said, I told you earthly things and you did not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Worldly wisdom is simply limited to what man can discern or discover from the material world or matter. Time and space. It's limited by his own finite and sinful mind. So God, his revelation, and angelic beings have to be dismissed. So when push comes to shove, the pretender, this is the key. When push comes to shove, the pretender will seek out counsel from any friend, any website, any opinion poll, any blogger or philosopher that strokes or reinforces their own pride their own arrogance, their own self-interest, and their selfish ambition. They're looking for someone to tickle their ears. It usually ends up with, do your own thing. Have it your way. Look out for number one. Just do it. That's the wisdom of the world speaking. And the pretender embraces that. Paul warned the church in Colossae about the tendency of its participants to prefer the teachings of men over that of God. Colossians 2.8, he said, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Notice, 
Paul said, philosophy is an empty deception and that it captures our hearts. See, James is saying exactly what Jesus said, exactly what Paul said. Jesus warned his apostles when he was talking about the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, that they were uh, spiritually blind and not to follow their uh, man-made rules that they had created and then tried to present them to the uh, children of Israel as if they were doctrines of God. He says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips. See again, typical pretender, say the right things. Honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They are simply blind guides of the blind. And if a blind, a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. The spiritual pretender can say the right thing, while at the same time his heart has been captured by the doctrines of men. The second way that a pretender is deceived and deceiving others, another way that uh, he's uh, embracing the wisdom of this world is it says it's natural wisdom. Natural. What does that mean? It relates to anything that's fallen, anything that has to do with the body, and it actually has a lot to do with the sensual nature of man. Which is contrasted with the spiritual nature of a genuine believer. The worldly wisdom teaches that whatever makes the pretender feel good in this life must be true. It must be true. If it feels good, do it. This is what Paul had to say about the gospel he preached to the church in Corinth. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration and in the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. The natural man cannot appraise spiritual things. Jude warned about false prophets who would be motivated by lustful desires. So the reason that they were uh, telling falsehoods is they were believing falsehoods. They had already embraced the, the uh, philosophy of this world and were sharing it with others. That's what false prophets do. Jude, verse 17 says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles to our Lord Jesus Christ. And they were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts, 
They are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Notice what Jude is saying here is exactly what James was saying. False prophets will first embrace worldly philosophy and have no spirit. Their hearts will be full of ungodly lusts, and then they will cause division in the church. That's how it works. Three-step process. The last description of worldly wisdom was demonic. Demonic wisdom. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. Not many people wake up and say, ah, I'm, uh, I'm following Satan today, and uh, I, I'm a Satanist. Not, not many people wake up that way. But James is making it very clear, you, you, you only have two choices. You either make a decision to be uh, wise and understanding, embracing, fearing God, or you're going to be a part of the enemy. And that wisdom that you're going to believe is, has one origin. See, rebellion began where? It began among the angels, and then where did it begin here on earth? It was in the garden, right? And where did Eve get the idea, the wisdom, got in her mind such that she acted, such that we have the consequences that we do today? It was demonic, was it not? It was demonic wisdom that was in Eve's mind. In the church, the pretender will bounce from friend to friend, counselor to counselor, pastor to pastor, church to church, until he finds one that supports and reinforces the desire of his sinful heart, which is contrary to the clear teaching of the Word of God. That's how it works. I have to feel comfortable. Paul warned Timothy of the same problem. He said that there'll be those who don't endure sound doctrine. Can't handle it. I can't sit here under this. I can't endure this. But they want to have their ears tickled and they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Notice how Paul is saying exactly what James is saying. This is how it works. This is how it works. Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So if the pretender is someone who's chosen to embrace a worldly, sensual, and demonic wisdom, even though he's professing to others and actually may have convinced himself that he's a believer, what type of beliefs, attitudes, and affections and desires will develop in his heart? Because that's the process. It starts with what you believe will impact your heart and then your behavior. So according to James, 
if you uh, embrace worldly wisdom, what's the natural thing that's going to happen to that person's heart? Well, he spells it out for us. That You go from that bad seed, now you're going to have a corrupt heart. Step two, a corrupt heart. A pretender's heart will be motivated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. James 3, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. What is jealousy? The strong feeling of resentment towards someone who has something that you or I want. It could be something physical or it could be something intangible. That person gets kudos, they get applause and praise. I don't. I'm jealous of that. And then notice it says here, bitter jealousy. It's a very, very harsh word. It talks, as it's talking about the attitude here uh, that goes with jealousy, it's an attitude that's harsh, sharp, and destructive toward other people. Notice, bitter jealousy. I'm not just jealous. I'm angry. I'm harsh. And that's the attitude I'm going to have toward others with no concern for their feelings. Because see, what happens is when I want what I want, everyone else is just in my way. And I'm going to become very, very bitter. The pretender who desires to satisfy his pleasure measures everything and everyone based on his own selfish ideas and their standards. Here you go. You want to write this down. How does a bitter pretender judge and discern all circumstances and people? I'll say that again. How does a bitter pretender judge and discern all circumstances and all people? Very simple. Two ways. A person is a good person, and they are a good friend, if they help me satisfy my pleasure. Very simple. When they say, oh man, he's a great friend. That just means that person allows them and encourages them to get what they want. That's why they're a good person. Now, what's a bad person or a bad friend? Based on the first definition. That's what happens to pastors. Right? They're the ones who say, you know what? You really shouldn't be doing that. I hate the pastor. (laughs) That's when parents go to their teens and they say, you know what? That's not a very wise decision. I hate my parents. See, a bad person or an enemy is anyone that gets in the way of that person satisfying his pleasures. Notice how good and bad, there's nothing about God in the definition. God's nowhere in the definition. Good and bad is just who helps me get my ability to gratify myself. 
or who's in the way of me gratifying myself. That's where the bitterness comes in. I've got a goal, and it's selfish, and anyone that's in the way, there's going to be a little conflict. That's why the second thing that's listed here that will occur in the heart of someone who's embraced worldly wisdom is just that, selfish ambition. It actually was used uh, in classical Greek uh, to uh, explain politicians. It was actually the word. That's kind of where it came from was a politician is I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get power and an objective. I'm going to walk over people. I may have dead bodies behind me, but I got to the goal. That's what this word selfish ambition came to mean. It's extreme selfishness that naturally results in strife and contention. Wherever they go, there's conflict. They're a walking cloud of conflict. That's actually inherent within the definition because when a person is so focused on themselves, they will cause strife and contention. It's inevitable. So James admonishes these pretenders within the church whose hearts are full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, to not do two things. This is very important. He's, he's calling them out, and as they're hearing, or they're reading the letter that he sent, he's strongly encouraging them not to do two things. Because it's the pretender's default mode. And the first one is, he says... Do not boast, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So the first one is, do not boast against. That's kind of what the Greek word means. To boast about something, usually while describing someone else's less. Kind of uh, exalting yourself at the expense of someone else. And that's, that's what a pretender will do. I'm good. I'm fine. Right where I am. With God, I'm all good. I don't need input. I don't need counsel. I don't need any recommendations. I've already been through all those Bible studies. I may even have a little uh, a degree after my name from a Bible college. I've been in this many Bible studies under this type of training. I'm good. I'm good. See, James knows that pretenders will be tempted to defend themselves behind, hide behind their pride. But notice the second challenge he says, do not lie against the truth. This is actually where the word pretend comes in. It's actually right here in the text. The Greek word for to lie literally means to pretend. That's what it says. Okay, guys, now that you've heard, you're being challenged on where you are, stop pretending. 
This verb is usually used for lying, saying things to please people, even though your desire is different, or you behave in a particular way because you're trying to deceive. The whole purpose of this verb is to deceive, whether it's through actions or through words. James is saying, stop. Stop. First John 1 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with God, I'm a Christian. I have fellowship. It later says, If we have fellowship one with another, we'll have, um, if you walk in the light as I walk in the light, we're going to have fellowship one with another. That's what it says uh, two verses later. I have fellowship with God. Notice what John says. If you say you have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. The exact same Greek word. We lie. Okay, and we're lying to ourselves, much less to others. And we do not practice the truth. So how does it work? Well, first, pretenders deceive themselves that they're right with God, even though they pattern their lives upon worldly and demonic wisdom or rules. Titus 3, 3 says this, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Notice what he said there, deceived, enslaved to lusts, and a life of malice and envy, bitter jealousy. So we first start, the pretender first is lying to himself. And then he, to feel comfortable with where he is, he begins to deceive others. Second Timothy 3 says this, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now what's an imposter? It's someone who's pretending to be one thing, but there's something else. As James continues to confront the pretenders in the church, he wants them to know that if they continue to reject Christ, follow the wisdom of man, follow their sensual desires, follow the counsel of the devil, their life will reap disorder and every evil thing and eventually eternal death. That brings us to the third point of the three-step process. It starts with bad seed, and then it get, corrupts the root, and then we end up with rotten fruit. Rotten fruit. What it says here in James, the pretender will reap a life of disorder and every evil thing. That's what's going to happen. Notice what it says there in James 3.16. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there, what does it say? There what? Is. Not might be. Not could be. 
it says there is disorder and every evil thing. It'll be evident in the choice of friends, who they spend time with. It'll be evident in the source of truth that they invest reading and listening to, the counselors that they seek out for critical advice, the priorities, the values, the convictions that they hold, how they spend their money, how they earn money, the choices they make regarding life's most important decisions, their sinful choices, based on worldly wisdom, will repeatedly result in disorder in every evil thing. When I do counseling, it happens all the time. People will come in and they think, well, if just this scenario were changed, variable A in their life, everything will be good. And as they tell me their story, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty decent at math. And I notice there's only one common denominator in their whole story. And what's that? Them. See, when that's in your heart, because you've embraced falsehood, you now have selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in your heart. Wherever you go, so one thing that the 12-step program I would agree with, wherever you go, there you are. And there's a cloud of chaos following you. Disorder. What is that? There'll be disorder in every evil thing. What is that? Horrific word, by the way. This is what it means. Instability. State of confusion. Disturbance. To rise up in open defiance of authority with the presumed intention to overthrow it. To be in opposition to authority, to rebel against, to revolt, to engage in insurrection. Notice, that's what James is saying is going to be the natural fruit of a pretender. Pretenders will eventually experience instability and confusion in their own soul and in all their relationships. Anxiety, doubt, feeling overwhelmed by life circumstances will be the natural result of the pretender being double-minded or two-souled. Notice what a pretender has to do. I, I, in my heart of hearts, secretly, I'm going this way. But when I'm public, I have to say I'm going this way. That is the definition in James of a two-souled man. That's a two-souled man. And that's why when James says, if that man asks for wisdom, what does what did he say? They will never get it. Because they are unstable in all their ways. They're two-faced. Double-souled. This is what a commentator said about the double-minded man. Although he claims to be a believer, his actions reveal he's an unbeliever. When he goes through a severe trial, he turns to human resources rather than trusting in the Lord for answers and for help. 
or he becomes bitter and resentful and seeks no help at all. He does not renounce God, but he acts as if God doesn't exist, doesn't care, or isn't capable of delivering him from trouble. He knows something of God's word and of God's love and grace and providence, but he refuses to avail himself of those divine resources. Or as we say, he's a practical atheist. Jesus said it this way, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. No man can serve two masters. That's why there's instability. They're trying to put their feet on two sides. In fact, Jesus said, you're going to hate and despise one of those two. That's what Jesus said. Can't love both. James even said in the next chapter, he says, they've become a friend of the world, which means they've made themselves an enemy of God. See, that's what a pretender is. They want to be a friend of the world, but say that they're a Christian. You can't be both. That's why God says, if you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. Let me sum up with this. Talking to the pretender today. Even if you regularly attend church, while you're secretly rejecting Jesus, you publicly pretend that you're a follower of Jesus, but you've chosen to follow a counterfeit wisdom, And that's impacted your heart. And the desires of your heart are not honoring to God. And it's hurting people. And that's why the words that are coming out of your mouth and the actions and the behaviors that are coming out of you, that is what will come out. Because that's the seed that is there that has been sown. And the root of that heart will bear. And that's what Jesus said. You will know them by their fruits. James said, if you're tired of pretending, we'll cover this in future weeks, if you're tired of pretending, James 4 says this, today is the day to draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart you double-minded. Today's the day for salvation. Let's pray.